and welcome to the Recovering God podcast. This is a platform to explore issues that affect the faith lives of Christian women. We hope you find this podcast helpful. Reverend Canon Eve Pitts. Reverend Eve is an Anglican priest who, when ordained in 1994, became Britain's first black female vicar in the Church of England. She works in the Diocese of Birmingham, often alongside those who society overlooks or forgets, and she's pushing the Church of England to recognise the part it played during the transatlantic slave trade. For the past seven years, Eve has been leading Ancestors Arise, a service which honours those killed in slavery. Hello, everyone. How are we, Alison and Alexandra? Got my Sunday best name there, Amy. Thank you. <laughs> I thought I'd use a formal language. How are we? All good. No, not good. I've got gluteal tendinopathy. Oh. If you want to know what that is, it's literally a pain in the bum. <laughs> <laughs> so we had we had vaginismus the previous month, and now we've got a pain in the bum this month. <laughs> yeah, it's not nice. What's going on in the world then, chaps? Is chaps a good thing to say to women or not? No, I used to guys quite a lot. I don't well. like that either. No, that's, that's still gender specific. I use it all the time. Well, what what could what should we say? People. Friends. Friends, friends, friends sounds very Christian, doesn't it? <laughs> Siblings. Sisters. Yeah. Sister. Okay, so lenses. Anyway, so I was thinking that there's some major things going on in society at the minute. There's the whole Afghanistan nightmare where women are being stopped from working, education anything which is Mm. just appalling isn't it my take on some of this is the fact that some versions of christianity would love to be able to have permission to do the same stuff certain people in other countries such as afghanistan do to be honest yeah i can see that and I, the idea I, of women only needing to be at home to rear children shouldn't be at work. I mean, that's a Don Piper thing. I mean, you're not even talking extremism in terms of Christianity about saying what job should women do if they should do anything outside the home. And so I sometimes look and it's like it's nice and easy to look over abroad into other countries and other religions and go, oh, that's terrible. And not actually go, well, hold on a minute, is this kind of ideology in our world as well? That's that's something that I've reflected on in terms of Afghanistan. That's really interesting, Amy. Mm. So John Piper's the chap in America, isn't he? I even consider particularly extreme, to be honest. You know, talk about certain extremist sects in America. You look at people like Doug Wilson in Moscow, Idaho, and... Yeah, and there's probably some hidden in this country as well that we just don't know about. Yeah. So that was one thing I was thinking about. And um, another thing that has been in the news recently is the um, the police issue with all the 
known as being abusive to their partners or have um, attacked women. And the stats have been around for years and years, but they've just come to the kind of into the media recently. And, and it's a question I asked, I don't know, about a year ago, I think, which was if we've got police who are doing that sort of thing in their domestic lives, how are they being allowed to stay in the police force? And it's no wonder that women's issues are not taken seriously. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's clearly a systemic problem, isn't there? And what really bothers me, there's been loads on social media about how women should behave if they're stopped by police, how they can protect themselves, how you can check a warrant is real, how you can ring uh, 111 to check this really is um, a genuine police officer who has stopped you. Nothing about how um, police forces, as you say, are carrying on employing people with a history of violence towards women. There's a massive systemic issue there. It's not to be put on us. It's not about our choices as to whether we get in a police car or not. There's something bigger going on here. Absolutely. I mean, it's the commissioner. I think it was the commissioner. He's the one that came out and said, you know, she should have checked, you know, credentials or warrant. She shouldn't have got in the car. And this kind of onus on her to have to take responsibility in a space where when we are expected, and rightly so, to respect the law and to honour the law, and the law is carried out by people such as a police officer there why would you question whether you know you should get in a car I mean like we could argue about like in other countries like I remember that 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 situation that happened years ago with a guy from Latin America that ran off from the police because that was what you did because you feared the police that and especially because it was maybe there's corruption but we don't consider the police as a first port of call of corruption do we so why would she question a policeman you know taking her off the streets or whatever and putting her in a car and so to, to auto, and so he's come out and apologized and said oh it was wrong I'm you know um, I'm, I'm learning and things like that but my thing in the car today when I was listening to it was like but that was your automatic reaction your automatic reaction wasn't to think and listen it was to say oh actually it's kind of the woman's fault and so to mm. me, that speaks volumes. So it doesn't matter whether you apologise. The, the, the reality is that that was, that was your knee-jerk reaction to say, well, why did she do this? You know, in other words, what's kind of her problem as well? It's not all on him. And that's the issue for me, is like there's still this idea that women still have to take a responsibility for the, for, for the actions of men. Which is what all those social media posts are all about. Yeah. About women, you need to learn what a warrant card looks like. Really? It makes makes me think what you just said, Amy, about um, if I was black, mm. then yeah. I, I think we'd probably feel differently, to be honest, because if you're a black person in this country, you're more likely to be stopped and searched or arrested. Just think back to, you know, George Floyd, he, a year ago in the US as well. I mean, it's made me think about how I've always trusted the police until now and now I'm starting to think I'm not sure I do trust the police anymore because of the corruption that I'm becoming more and more aware of. And I should have spotted this years ago 
because of what my black brothers and sisters were saying. And I didn't. And the interview today is with um, Reverend Eve Pitts. She calls herself a womanist rather than a feminist because she wants to acknowledge her experience as a black woman is different from that of a white woman. And you've just given an example now of dealings with the police. Well, let's have a listen to what she's got to say, shall we? So, Reverend Eve, can you start by telling us a bit about yourself so that we understand who you are and about your Christian faith and how that's been shaped and something of your history? Well, I grew up in a very um, religious family. Sometimes I think I'm who I am today because I was brought up in that kind of environment. And and that's been good. I mean, it's not always been easy, but it's been very good for me to have this kind of background. So it wasn't surprising to anyone when I ended up in the church, um, because that's all I know. I I got married young. We've had three three children, and that's been uh, that's been great. It's had its ups and downs, but you know, I've always been very keen on doing what I do and to do it well. So um, the church has been my life. I don't know anything else, really. I don't know if that's good or bad, but um, that's all I know. Thank you. That's great. So the next question is, would you call yourself a Christian feminist and why or why not? I mean, I I think as a black woman, um, maybe we we have very different views um, about what feminism is because we have very different experiences of life. Life has treated us in very different ways. So um, I try very hard not to use the word feminism. Um, I'm I'm a woman, I'm a womanist, I'm a black woman with all the joys and the ups and downs that that entails. So um, I try very hard not to use the word feminism because I think many black women have been excluded from white feminism. White feminists have largely... um, ignored the presence of uh, black women and the, 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 the reality that we live, the, the life that we live and the, the, the demands of uh, what it means to be a black woman in a society that um, often treat us very badly by the very silence uh, of, of feminist groups. So, no, I am a womanist. I'm a woman who believes uh, deeply in um, the, the creative power of my womanliness, and I, I, you, I, I'm very proud to be a woman. I'm determined to remind those who need to be reminded of what it means to be a black woman and what it means to have the confidence to be yourself. So that for me, that my womanist outlook, outlook on life uh, feeds me. It feeds me intellectually and spiritually. So I, I I don't I always joke and say to people I have no this I have no no idea I have no desire to I will do everything I can to continue to remind anyone who needs reminding of the importance of my experience as a black woman and how I live my life within the context of being black and female. Thank you. That's really helpful. Um, we've had other people on who've who said similar things so uh, that's really that's really good can you tell us about the ancestors arise service that you've been running in your church for the last six years please because we'd be really interesting to hear about that well um it's pretty it's something that means a lot to me and I, I i 
I don't talk about it in a frivolous way. And I, I am very careful about what I say about something and part of my life and history that I have such a deep respect for. You know, my, I know my history well enough to know that um, there's a whole side of my history um, as, as a black woman that um, white society isn't interested in. And, and, and that lack of interest meant that, um, that, that continuing undermining of black humanity. And that means also for dead black humanity. One of the reasons why I started the ancestor service was the final recognition that unless we remember, no one else will. And it's very easy. It was very easy to do it, even though people questioned my motives and my wisdom for, for doing this. It's important to me because it's important to you for you to remember your ancestors. And, and now dare anyone tell me that I can't and shouldn't um, when you consider the barbarity of the, the life they live, the life they were forced to live, the an undignified death for the vast majority of my people. Um, how dare I forget? And so I remember for all the reasons that other nations want to remember their, 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 their ancestry. And I remember for all the reasons that other nations want to give their people wisdom and dignity and integrity and all the things that every human being possesses. So um, when I started this seven years ago, I mean, I think people were very sort of doubtful. You know, what is this about? And then it's, there's nothing complicated about it. I, I have no choice but to remember. Not, you know, as a human being and as a black woman, I have no choice but to remember. It, 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 my dignity hangs on that. And my self, sense of self hangs on that. And my cultural sense of who I am as a, as a part of a group, as a much larger group, hang, hangs on that. So it is in remembering that I bring dignity to the dead and to those who, without whom I wouldn't be here. And that's why I take it so seriously. And I will not compromise it for anyone uh, because... When people forget where they're from, when we forget our roots, uh, then we are in serious. And, and I, 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 I mean, I, I get it. I understand why some people would rather not remember, but I can't afford to forget. So the, the service is a, is a way of reminding us, whether we want to be reminded or not, uh, about the importance of memory and importance of giving dignity to those people without whom I wouldn't exist. So yeah. important. Thank you. Can you tell us what the aim of the service is? Have you got anything to add to what you've already said about the aim of the, the service? The aim is to simply bring dignity to the dead. One of the great things about being a vicar is that every service I take, and I speak purely for myself, I do everything I can to bring dignity to the dead because without that, then it's a dehumanizing experience on both sides, I would imagine, uh, if, if we continue to forget, then we, we are saying that that soul, albeit a dead soul, is of no avail. And, um, and any kind, if you are silent, I mean, I understand all the complex reasons why people want to forget. But, you know, people remember they're dead. Um, so I don't, um, I don't normally let anyone question me about why I remember. Uh, because um, all the other peoples of the world 
um, remember they're dead and they're often uh, applauded for it. <laughs> and yet so often um, we are supposed to be so embarrassed about our history that it's best to forget. And it's not my embarrassment. It is not my, my shame. It is, I'm very proud because I do not see my ancestors as victims, just simply victims. I see them as this wonderful African people that they were from whom I've descended. And, um, and how dare I forget? How dare any of us forget? All of us, it behoves all of us to remember, even my white brothers and sisters, to actually remember this story is not a one-sided story. This story is about all of us. And unless we remember that, that the story of my ancestry and remembering of them is about a reminder to those who would want to forget, those who would see their um, the life of a slave as not amounting to anything. It says something about a society that uh, thinks it's okay to forget. It's not an, a comfortable memory, but this, there's nothing comfortable about it. Why should it be? By the very nature of what's happened to them, uh, my ancestors, it's, it brings pain. But this is not just my pain. And, and we can have amnesia if we like in our wider culture. We can have amnesia. It's, it's easy to have amnesia. Let's forget and, and say, let bygones be bygones. And, you know, that's, that is, that's a cowardly way out. And I'm not into cowardice behavior. Thank you. I understand exactly what you're saying and why you're saying it. Can you tell us why you decided to start the service as a, as a service in church? What better place to, to have it? The fact that slaves were bought by the Church of England seems pretty, it seems okay to me. Have it there. Yeah, brilliant. Have it just there. Yeah. The Church of England bought slaves. Um, if they were worth nothing when they're dead, when they were alive, I'm going to make sure that within the context of the confines of the church, the church is reminded that it's, they're worth something to God and to me. And I hope one day to the wider society in which I live. Wonderful. Could you tell us a bit about how you actually do that in the service? Is that it's just like a service? It's a, it's 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 a celebration of what they might have been. It's a celebration of birthdays, parties that they didn't have. It's a celebration of a life, a brutish life, for the vast majority of my ancestors. And it's celebrating. I said, you know, we we have lots of music and we we um, have good speakers. Uh, nearly always, um, every year I have a speaker. Sometimes I speak, sometimes I invite others to speak. And, and it's about giving, saying to the society and saying to the community, this is not our shame. Let's celebrate the life. We have good music. We have wonderful reggae. We have, you know, sort of classical black music to remind us of our creativity and to remind them of a lost creativity those millions who died with their gifts unused. And so we use up the, the gifts of those who are alive and we, we celebrate all the birthdays they didn't have. It's a good old knees up with God somewhere in between that. <laughs> Wonderful. Sounds fabulous. Can you just tell us how that service helps people? It's healing. It's healing and it gives dignity. 
And if nothing else happens, it is that dignity. It's that moment when we say, this is, this is our history, for good or for ill, this is what, you know, this shapes me and make me who I am, makes me who I am today. And those who come share that, that vision. And I, I think that moment of deep pride, you know, I have a wonderful poster in my church. Do not remember that there were slaves, but that way they were brave. And in the courage it must have taken, some of them killed themselves. You know, we, we don't hear about that. Some, some committed suicide rather than be slaves. Some killed their children rather than be slaves. And for me, that says peers of people with courage. They didn't willingly give themselves over to slavery, to be enslaved. They were enslaved by others. That's their very definition. So um, it's, a, it's a service of thanksgiving that God has seen us through the most barbaric period of our history. And he continues to see us through. doesn't mean I don't have wars with God. Of course I do. I have wars with God. But the service is primarily about saying, these are the people that we have an obligation, a righteous obligation to say, we're glad that we're descended from you. And we haven't forgotten you. Mm. And that we, those of us who are in the privileged position of remembering, can take great pride that we come from and we, we have been, we've been we descended from a great part, um, uh, great part of humanity. And so it's, it's a refusal, as I see. It's a refusal to accept any other definition, really. It's a refusal to say to the world, you may want me to forget, as my Angela you know, said in that great poem, you may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies, but still I rise. And it is that refusal and my part and those who join me, the refusal to go on my knees, the refusal to be bowed, the refusal to forget it's very powerful thank you i kind of feel how do we go how do we go on from that because that's so powerful um what can you just tell us what things you think is still important for our churches to learn about racism obviously in the church of england there's these um well the church is adept at um, amnesia and the church of england pentecostal anglican it's very easy to indulge in forgetfulness. And, um, and I don't indulge the church in forgetfulness because, um, and I'm not doing it for the church. The church has to do its work itself. Mm. I mean, I, I say to my white brothers and sisters, you, if you want to be free, come with me. But I can't force you. It's entirely up to you. Um, the only struggles, battles I intend to fight is are the battles that will free the minds of my people. And if in so doing, and it frees the mind of my brothers and sisters, and they decide to get their hands dirty, then we work together. But the Church of England has to make the decision whether it's ready to do the mature thing. Mm-hmm. Acknowledge. It's about that acknowledgement of 
how did we get here? How did we arrive here? And if we are going to be truly human, what do we do with having learned that things need to be done? It may be painful. Of course it's going to be. I mean, I, I, I can't, you, know, you can't have this kind of revolution, this kind of ch fundamental change without pain. Um, but it, and it takes courage. But maybe we don't, um, we're not ready for that yet. It's not my, that's not my um, ball game. Oh, I'm interested in my people that we have a real sense of who we are with pride in our own humanity. Thank you. And if anyone wants to come and join us, that's fine. And how do, <laughs> how do they come and join you, Reverend Eve? I don't know. They, they, only... I mean, I've, I've resisted any attempt over the years to tell anyone what they know what to do. They know what to do. Everybody knows what to do. If you're a human being and you know that something is fundamentally wrong, then you get up and you do it. Get courage. I like people who are courageous. I don't care what color they are. I like people of courage. People who have the capacity to say, to say the things that are not comfortable. I'm not into patting anyone on the back and telling them, Never mind, you know, I'll do it on your behalf. I heck I will. No, I will not. I mean, I, I, I will say to my brothers and sisters, come with me if you are prepared to do the journey. But I can't force you to do it, and I won't. So, Reverend Eve, can you tell us what your image of God is, please? <laughs> it's a black guy. <laughs> it's a gorgeous black guy, a powerful black guy. It's the only guy, it's the only way I can imagine God, um, having worked through the nonsense, you know. Um, yeah, not quite like my father, but a very loving God, a God who exists, is exasperated with us, actually, um, with the way we treat each other. Uh, it's not good. The earth is not in a good place, and we've been very unkind to each other. And if I were God, thank heavens I'm not, I'd be exasperated with us because this is a good place. It was a God-given gift. Our humanity is a gift from God. And I have, I don't, I mean, I don't find God easy, okay? I mean, I, I, I don't make it a secret. I find, I find God, I have lots of bonds with God. And that's okay. I mean, I, I get very suspicious about anyone who tells me that they, they never struggle with God. You know, when you see the injustices um, in our world and the injustices that my people have had to face, um, you know, um, and the iniquities of racism, how could I not fall out with God? One of the great things about I've learned about God is that he's patient or she's patient. She's kind. And, and, and understand my rage, my religious rage. And, and that's great. I'm very comfortable with my religious rage because I can tell God, you know, as it is and say, you know, this is unfair. These are the reasons why I think it's unfair. God will understand. So I don't have a very comfortable God. I'm not interested in a comfortable God. And I'm not interested in a God that... Um, isn't interested in me. So I cannot, I have to believe 
that God is interested in this black woman and the race from which uh, I've come, and 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 that a God who is just, and in the long term, in the short term, it's at times exasperating because I want God to do it now. I want God to sort the mess out now, but I know that it doesn't work that way. In the meantime, I'll just call, keep falling in and out of love with God, and that's fine. I, you know, let no one fool you. Um, I'm, really, I'm really quite envious of people who never fall out with God because we are terrified. Now, if I have to be terrified of God, then I don't want to worship him. I want to worship a God who understands when I'm angry and I say this is unfair, where are you? There are lots of good examples in Scripture um, of people, women and men, who have in their barnies with God, and I come out bruised but stronger for it. Yeah, so true. So, what do you call God? Uh, I don't. I certainly don't believe in the Santa Claus in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, I don't. I I don't have. Um, if I have an image at all, it's of a black man. Seriously. And you call God God. Yeah, I call God God. Brilliant. Yeah. So our final question is always, what do you think is the most important issue affecting Christian women today? Sexist language. <laughs> Still calling God he. <laughs> All of that stuff. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, it pains me that we're still talking about women priests and men priests. I'm just a priest. And damn good one as well. Um, so the church, the church is always lagging behind, isn't it? You know, the rest of us are sort of getting on with the things that matter. But sometimes I think the church is beginning to realize that it's left behind. And, and I'm hoping that the pandemic, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to mention the pandemic, mm. but I'm hoping one of the great things about the pandemic, if there's anything great, is that you know the church is we're forced into reevaluating what church means and um and and trying to understand how God moves and works with us in difficult times. So I think the church uh, is awakening from its slumber. And I think the pandemic has had a lot to do with that. We've had to rethink about the community of believers how men and women, black and white, get together, despite all the difficulties, and and begin to uh, help society make sense of uh, God and, and see it through the eyes of women. You know, the language we use in our liturgies uh, is still very, it's chronically um, sort of sexist, um, and all of that must be reviewed, really. Mm. Thank you so much. Your you, what you said has been uh, very powerful and um, really helpful, and I'm sure that people listening will be, depending on who they are, be challenged <laughs> or be comforted or be encouraged or um, want to find out more. So um, we're really grateful that you've come on the podcast, Reverend Eve, to to share. Thank you. Share. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, and the ancestors will be very pleased. Yeah. 
Thank you. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. We've been thinking about how we could respond to Reverend Eve's very powerful words and decided that in this time and place, the most appropriate response would be to pray. So if you would, I invite you to to join with me. Alison has found this prayer of lament from the Church of England. And so we're going to pray this together now. God of all, we confess that we have inherited a faith that was used to justify the theft of native lands and the enslavement of your people. From this sin, we ask for deliverance. Touch hearts that have been shriveled by generations of suppressed empathy and eyes that have lost the ability to see siblings who suffer from systemic injustice. Grant us courage to renounce the false teaching that we can somehow know you without being committed to justice for all people. In your mercy, help us mourn the divisions among the body of your Son and work for healing in the places where we gather to worship you. As we name and unlearn the habits of racism, discrimination and prejudice, give us grace to draw deeply from the witness of the movements that have always resisted injustice in the power of your spirit. We pray with thanksgiving for the prophetic leaders who guide, challenge and inspire us today. Give us grace to follow them to freedom. Forgive us for where we have failed to understand, Lord, and in your mercy, set us free. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovering God podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and tell others who you think will be interested. You can follow us on Twitter at Recovering God, Instagram at Recovering underscore God, or contact us by email at recoveringgodpodcast at gmail.com.